Good morning. I am full. I'm full. Like I, we could end right now, and I'd be good. The music, the videos, the whole thing, I'm full. We're not done, but I feel like I've just had a Thanksgiving meal. So if I nap up here, just wake me up. Good to see you this morning. Happy anniversary which may mean nothing to you. You may be brand new here, and you're like, it's an anniversary? What? Um, Yeah, so we're 29. This is our 29th um, year together. Uh, Our first worship service was November 18th, 1990. And um, so about two years prior to that, I was on the property of a construction site, a massive construction site, the thing that attracted me was the sign out front that said Main Street USA. And uh, so I went into the sales office and heard the vision of Main Street USA, which was to create this kind of town center, this hub, where people around the sprawling township of Voorhees could come and uh, find you know, shops, uh, little stores, and restaurants, and uh, that there'd be people living above those. It was going to be a Main Street kind of feel, and everything would be in walking distance. The um, bank that you would go to, the grocery store, just to give you an idea of the time frame, the video store you would go to all right within walking distance. And I thought, you know, this is a cool idea. So I was out on that site looking around and had a moment where God spoke to me. And at that point, um, even then, I understood the difference between my own thoughts, my own interior conversations, and when God was speaking. And God asked a question, Jeff, what's missing here? And that's when I realized that we're creating Main Street USA, but there's no church. And I sensed then that God was calling me to start a church in Voorhees Township. I tell that story probably at least once every year and have for 29 years. And the reason I tell the story is because it says something about this church. This church exists not because I thought it would be a cool idea to start a church or because Um, denominational officials identified Voorhees as a place to start a church. It started because God had something in mind. God had something in mind. Those other ways of starting a church are all fine. Have somebody who decides that it's a good idea or they pick a place that needs a church. All those are fine, but that's not this church's story. This church's story is that God had something in mind. And I have recognized over these years that my primary job is to listen and to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit as I lead this church. That's my job, to listen and to follow as the Spirit prompts us. So we are now in our 29th year and looking ahead, looking to what's next. I want to just take a moment of personal privilege and say to you as the current occupants of Hope Church, how grateful I am to this church. On behalf of the Bills family, Marilyn and Josh and Matt and myself, we are so 
grateful for this community of faith and the impact that it has had on our lives. It has forever changed our lives. And being a part of it has been one of the great joys of our lives. I am honored, truly, to be the pastor, or one of the pastors now, of, of this amazing uh, community of faith called Hope. And so I want to thank you for allowing me that privilege. It's 29 years, and so I've noticed over the last year or a little bit longer, I've been hearing a question from folks um, increasingly. And the question is, when are you going to retire? And it's usually said that way, like, when are you going to retire? Sometimes it's more like, when are you going to retire? Um, and so I wanted to just, as a moment of personal privilege, just share my thinking about that. It's not necessarily an easy thing to answer. Uh, first of all, we're a United Methodist Church, and so I serve at the pleasure of the bishop. I am appointed here to serve as pastor for a one-year term. And at any point, the bishop can decide to move me someplace else. And, uh, but I've talked to the bishop on several occasions, and he has assured me he has no interest in sending me anywhere else. I think privately, he wouldn't know what to do with me. And uh, <laughs> so it's an easy decision for him to just leave me here. But so that's a reality that we live with. Beyond that, um, my, my focus is effectiveness. As long as I believe that I can be effective in my leadership here, I am thrilled to be here and, uh, and love what I get to do. But the moment I feel like I can't do it effectively, I want to be out of here um, and, and start a transition. So just in terms of you know, my own time frame thinking, because everything has an end date, um, I would say that it's not going to be any less than three years or more than seven. So somewhere in the next three to seven years, uh, we'll begin a transition period and uh, because my goal will be that whoever uh, steps into this role after me, that there is a smooth and seamless transition and that person will step into the role. You'll all know this person and be excited about um, who he or she is and, uh, and you'll just continue to uh, follow where the spirit leads. So that's where that is. Not that you were asking or care. Most of you don't. Others of you are going, no, not no. It's three more years. Okay. I'm just channeling. Well, thanks. You do? All right. Well, all ten of you, thank you. Anyway, that was... I'm truly, I am blessed. So we're, we're at 29, and what you heard on the video is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be using this next year as a time um, of celebration for what God has been doing in our midst, not 30 years ago, but over the past 30 years. We're going to be celebrating the past. We're going to be inviting people to commit to the present, because what 
we do now is what is going to be one day looked back on and, man, like those guys did amazing things. Isn't it great that they made these commitments and so forth? And, uh, but we live into that right now. So we are celebrating the past, we're committing to the present, and we're going to collaborate on what's next because I believe that God has a future and a hope for this place beyond right now. And so we're going to just make that our focus, and we're calling it Hope 3.0, 30th year, and then these three focuses of past, present, and next. So that's what's going on. Um, I often use this Sunday, this anniversary Sunday, as a time to vision cast and reflect on who we are as a community of faith. And I want to do that with you this morning. And the way I want to do that is I want to talk about five things that have been true about Hope Church from the very beginning days and continue to be true about this church today. And it's important that you know these things, one, just because you're a part of it, but two, it happens, those things only happen when the people of this church embody these things. When you take them on as your own and live into them, that's when they become meaningful, not just because um, somebody else had done that in the past. So these five things that I think are true of hope um, past and believe they're still present with us. So the first one that um, I would say is that we recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only eternal thing in the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only eternal thing in the church. Everything else changes. Everything else changes. The, the message of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death, resurrection of Jesus is eternal. It's unchanging. The way it's talked about in the Bible is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel of Jesus never changes. But what happens sometimes in churches in particular is we get confused about that and we make other things just as central as the gospel and sometimes even more so. So our traditions become just as important as the gospel. The way that we do worship becomes essential, just like the gospel. Our buildings become central to us, just like the gospel. And so we learn this lesson very early on that that's not the case, that the only essential, the only eternal thing is the gospel. So we were planning our first worship service. This was about a month before we actually had that first service, and there was a group of us planning out what that first worship service would look like, and we were talking about how do we transform a cafeteria in an elementary school into a worship space that will feel like a worship space to people. And so we got into this conversation about the altar table. What will we use for an altar table? What will we cover the altar table with? What will, we, what will we put on top of the altar table? Will there be candles on top? Will there be flowers, a Bible? What will be on top of the altar table? And we're in this conversation when one of the guys in the group, a guy who is actually still part of the church, he's now part of our Mount Laurel uh, campus, Randy Peterson, said, why are we going to have an altar table? Boom, 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 boom. 
Well, because we're a church, and that's what churches have. Have you ever been to a church that didn't have an altar table? Exactly. Churches have altar tables. But as we looked at that, as he challenged us on that, we realized that altar tables were part of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Church of Christ. There weren't altar tables. There weren't buildings. So they didn't have altar tables. We don't have to have an altar table. Now, eventually, we had an altar table because we wanted the, the, the school to look like a, a church and to give people some sense of familiarity, and so we had an altar table. I wore a robe. You know, I was in the black robe uh, in those days, which I'm going back to at some point. As this thing ages, you're going to want a black tarp over it, believe me. Um, Altar tables are not essential. Our style of worship is not essential. Those things change. As long as we're clear about what core is, the gospel of Christ, everything else changes. It always has, and it always will until Christ returns. And so it allows us great opportunities for innovation when you recognize that change is inevitable. Change can happen. When we first rolled out the design of this building and shared it with the congregation, um, there was a couple very involved and, you know, great couple and so forth, but they, they were offended by this design. And so I went to them and said, why, why, are, why is this such a problem for you? And they said, well, because it doesn't look like a church. We thought that the church that we were going to build would look like a church. And I said, well, what does a church look like? Well, you know. Like white clapboard, steeple, stained glass, that's what a church looks like. Well, first of all, no. Some churches are stone, some are brick. Right? There's different styles of churches. We're not trying to build a church that looks like a church. We're trying to build a church that reflects our vision. That's why it's glass. So that the building is more transparent. Where the idea is that people can look inside and see the church. This is the church, right? We're the church. And that sloping metal structure out in front was supposed to be, you know, kind of an architectural version of a front porch with just open arms that invited people in. Right? When we recognize what's core, we're allowed to be creative and innovative and speak to our culture about what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's been true of us all the way through. The second thing that's true about this place, that has always been true about this place, is that we invite and welcome everyone. We invite and welcome everyone. Right? That's, that's worth clapping for, absolutely. And we do that because that's what Jesus did. Jesus invited 
everyone to follow him. Jesus invited everyone into the kingdom of God. There was no one so lost, no one so sinful, no one so crazy that Jesus didn't invite into the kingdom of God. And so we do the same thing, and we always, always have. The way that this church got started was we had eight to ten people for four weeks, six nights a week, calling everybody within five miles of the school where we, where we were going to meet, inviting them to church. We didn't call and say, are you Methodist? We didn't call and say, ask what their race was or what their uh, religious heritage was. We didn't ask about their socioeconomic situation. We didn't ask anything about them. We simply invited whoever answered the phone to come to church. One of my stories that I love to share is one um, I was phone calling on this particular evening and called a number, and two people picked up at the same time, right? So on the one end, um, the voice, I could tell it was an older adolescent boy, probably 12, 13-ish um, years old, and on the other end, what was clearly the dad. So the phone call would go like this. They'd say hello, and hi, my name is Jeff, and um, I'm a part of a new church that's going to be starting in your area. And before I could finish the sentence, the son says, we're Jewish. And that stopped me, and the dad said, it's okay, go on. Okay, well, um, before we get started, we're calling our neighbors to see if we could ask a couple of quick questions. Would that be okay? And the son says, we're Jewish. And the dad said, it's okay. Go ahead, ask your questions. Said, oh, okay, well, the first one's probably obvious, but are you currently actively involved in a local church at this time? To which the son says, we're Jewish. And the father says, yeah, we're Jewish, but, you know, we don't go to synagogue, and so, you know, go ahead. Okay, well, um, so we're excited about what this new church is going to be, and um, we're wondering if you would be interested in having us send you some information about the church. To which the son said, we're Jewish. And the father said, it's okay, send the stuff. We have seen in these 29 years, people of all backgrounds come to this church. Folks who have Jewish backgrounds and Buddhist backgrounds, Hindu backgrounds, Roman Catholic backgrounds, Protestant backgrounds, atheism, agnosticism, all kinds of philosophical backgrounds who have come to this church and have experienced authentic Christian community. And the exciting thing in the midst of all of that is we've seen many who have entered into a relationship with Jesus. But it starts because we invite and we welcome everyone, just like Jesus. Third thing that has always been true of us, I would put this way. We're afraid of every big challenge until we've saturated it with prayer. 
we're afraid of every big challenge until we've saturated it with prayer. <laughs> yeah. Because it's scary, right? Like, I, I'm not um, a person who thrives on risk-taking, right? There are those people who are adrenaline junkies, you know, and you just love to live on the edge and so forth. I'm not that guy. So if we're going to take a challenge, if we're going to do something challenging, I need to know that God's in it before I'm willing to lead others into it. And that started all the way back at the beginning. When God gave me that word on Main Street, the first thing I did, I went back to the church I was serving in Haddonfield, and I gathered together a group of people, about 40 people, and I asked them to pray every day for 30 days, asking God, is this of you? Is this of you? And when we got back together at the end of that month and began to share our stories, our, what we were hearing from God, what we were sensing, and I got the feedback that every one of those people felt, yeah, God is in this. That's when I knew that we could move ahead. That's the foundation upon which this church is built, prayer. And every time there is a major challenge, a challenge that comes, we saturate it with prayer before we make any decision about whether or not to move ahead. This building sits on a piece of land, right? So before this building, this was an empty piece of land. The church was looking for property to build, to build on. And uh, so we were looking at various properties. I remember the first time we stepped foot on this property, we looked around and we thought, you know, this is a, this is a pretty good location. It wasn't the same place it is now. The, the post office wasn't there. Uh, the Rite Aid wasn't there. This place over here was some kind of electronics type of uh, uh, deal. It was, it was not as developed as it is now. But it looked like a pretty good location. And uh, I remember this group of three or four of us standing down at the Cooper Road on this property and just circling up before we left and praying. And basically the prayer was, God, if this is where you want your church to be, show us the way. And it was a couple of years before we actually bought this land. But here's what God did over those couple of years as we prayed. We continued to pray. It wasn't just that one, one and done kind of prayer. Every time uh, I drove by and I was encouraging others in the church, every time I drove by this property, I would just lob a prayer grenade, as I called it, onto the land. Hey, God, if that's where you want us, right? There would be people who would come out on this property and just walk this property and pray. And what happened in those intervening couple of years between the first time we were here and when we finally bought it was the price went from 750000 to 300000 And there's a whole story in there as well that's, that's such a God thing. When God's in it, I'm all about the challenge. But until I know God's in it, I'm not ready to go. Most recently, we prayed about, you know, this church becoming a multi-campus type of church. And for 30 days, we prayed. We enlisted people to pray. 300 people signed up for prayer. 
And that was how many years ago? Three years ago now? And today we have a campus in Mount Laurel. And I am so excited by what's going on there and how that group of hopesters is reaching out to that community and blessing the Mount Laurel community in really tangible and wonderful ways and being a people of hope there in Mount Laurel. So that's number three. Number four. Is that number three? No, that was that was. Thanks. I love that you guys know where I am in my notes and I don't. That's really good. You're paying attention. I love that. Number four. There's always a next step. There's always a next step. Our faith in Jesus Christ is dynamic. It's not static. Faith isn't a one-time uh, confession of a belief system. It's not just an academic, I believe these things to be true, and that makes me a Christian. We are called into a relationship with a living, living Christ. And in that kind of living relationship, there is always a next step in our faith. And so as we invite everybody to come, what we say to folks is, you know, maybe your next step is you need to decide whether or not you want to follow Christ. You may have never taken that step. You may have never acknowledged him as the forgiver of your sin, the leader of your life. And your next step is to decide to say yes to Jesus. But that's not the end of it, right? There's more to do. There's more steps to take. There's more growth to experience. So what we saw in that first year when we had all, all these people show up, Many of them were not followers of Christ. Most of them at that point weren't really followers of Christ. They were either very young in their faith. They had some experience of church in their childhood um, or nothing at all. But nobody, not nobody, very few were really following Christ. And so we were inviting them to take a next step. Your first step was coming to church. That's great. Keep doing that. But that's not it. What's your next step? For some folks, it was, okay, maybe I need to have a personal relationship. Maybe I need to, I don't know, start praying. And so I would talk to people who, you know, they'd never prayed before in their life other than when they were in a church setting. And so they began to have a regular conversation with God throughout the course of the week. And I would hear them come back so excited about their experience of this new relationship. For some, they had never cracked open a Bible. So figuring out what that book had to say was their next step. For others, it was um, serving, right? Figuring out what their what their abilities were and how they could serve others through the use of their spiritual gifts. But there's always, always, always a next step. That's what I love about following Christ. I've been following Christ for f over four decades, right? 
and there's still a next step for me. There's still something new to learn, something new to do, something new to experience. And the same is true for each of you. What's your next step? What's your next step? There's a, two Bible studies I was a part of this fall, one on Monday night, one on Thursday night. And I was assisting the person leading in both cases. The guy who was leading the Thursday night group is a guy who attended the first ever small group I did called Bible Study for Guys That Don't Do Bible Study. And it was 12, 15 years ago. That was the first time for him he ever went to a Bible study. And I just watched as he, you know, got comfortable with the idea of being in a small group and talking about the Bible and realizing he could understand stuff. He had, and he could ask questions and not be, you know, looked down on and all of that other stuff. And I've just watched his faith flower over these years. And now to be in a Bible study with a group of guys and he's leading it, so cool. And the same thing on the Monday uh, group, that guy who's leading that one came to the last guys who don't do Bible study group that uh, I started about four years ago. Now, this guy's story is great, and at some point he, he'll tell you his own story, but he, his wife started coming to church without him, and she came for a couple of years, I think, before he ever showed up. I don't know what was going on in the marriage that made him finally come, but I have a feeling there was some pressure, right? So he showed up, and what he discovered was he didn't hate it, right? <laughs> he didn't hate it. It was okay. And as he got comfortable just kind of being here, then he began to hear some stuff that was challenging him, was igniting his interest and in his imagination. And right around that time, we started our third Bible study for guys that don't do Bible study, and he came to that. And I watched this guy's mind and heart open to God right before our eyes. Like his enthusiasm, his interest, his questions were so rich, and we just watched him grow um, really quickly. And so now to be having him lead a Bible study is so cool. It's not just about leading Bible studies. I don't want to give the impression that that's the, you know, like the be-all and end-all. That was just a direction that God took them. But God has something next for you to do as well. Here's the last one. We believe that Christianity is a team sport and always have. We believe Christianity is a team sport. And the reason I talk about teams and not committees is because committees are terrible things. I mean, committees, to me, they just are, remind me of uh, folks who sit in rooms and talk about stuff and nothing ever gets done. Right? That's, that's my mindset around a committee. So for the whole run, I don't allow the C word to be spoken um, in our leadership circles. It's teams because teams have a goal. 
And teams have players, not spectators. You know, they need spectators. But, but if you're on the team, you're a player. You have a role. You have a position. You have a talent that you bring to the team, that you contribute to the team to achieve the goal. That's what the faith is. Jesus called us into a personal relationship, but to be part of a community of faith, not just to be a private Christian on my own, but to be part of a community of faith working together to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to inspire and challenge each other, and to go make a difference in the world. And when we are part of a team, man, we can do amazing things. And again, that goes all the way back to the beginning. So after we got that church started and we had all these uh, new beginners and so forth and nobody knew each other, we were trying to get people onto teams. And so the team might be the refreshment team. You're going to be bringing cookies and you know juice and so forth for the next week. Um, so you're part of that team. There was the hospitality teams. There was the setup teams because we had to set up every week. There was the uh, a choir got started. So that became a team. Um, after a few weeks of having, you know, everybody together in the same room, including the children, some of the adults went, we need a Sunday school. And so we put together a team and, and folks who had never run a Sunday school, they didn't know anything about running a Sunday school, but they loved kids and wanted them to have a good experience. And so we teamed up and figured out how to start a Sunday school for kids. It happened because busy people made a commitment of their time to be a part of a team. I know it was 1990, but people were still busy back then too. You know, like we didn't have our phones, but people were busy back then too. Busy people who gave a little bit of their time, a piece of their time, a piece of their effort, a piece of their ability and skill to help create this place called hope. And that's been our story ever since. Everything that you see going on around you, everything that has happened over the course of 29 years has happened because busy people who weren't sure if they had anything necessarily to offer became part of a team. And God blessed it and used them in extraordinary kinds of ways. So let me close with this uh, from, from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus had been um, attacked by the Pharisees uh, throughout the second chapter of Mark. It started with he had gone to a dinner, a, a, a banquet, with a group of sinners, and they couldn't believe that Jesus was hanging out with those people, right? Terrible. And then in the middle, there's this, they're questioning him, like, why aren't your followers fasting? Everybody else's followers are fasting. Your followers aren't fasting. How come they're not doing that? And then at the end of the chapter, they're criticizing Jesus because his followers are disobeying the traditions and the laws around the Sabbath, right? So they're, they're really on Jesus about that. And right in the midst of all of this criticism, Jesus gives this example, and he says... You don't put new wine into old wineskins because if you do, it will burst. It can't contain it. You put 
new wine into new wineskins. Now, what Jesus was talking about was the old covenant that God made with Abraham and Moses is coming to an end. A new covenant, that one was based on the law. A new covenant, which is based on grace through faith in Christ, is coming. You can't put the old ways or the new the new. Uh, covenant into the old container, right? Because you'll do violence to both. I think there's something in that for us as well. When this church got started in 1990, we were trying to reach baby boomers, right? Baby boomers had left the church and, uh, and we were in the midst of trying to invite them back. But we had to change the way church was being done in order to attract them. Well, guess what, baby boomers? We're old now, right? There's a Gen X and a millennial generation and a Gen Z behind us. And we have to constantly be asking the question, what are the new wineskins? What are the new ways that we can take the timeless message of Christ that is the same yesterday, today, and forever and put it into new containers that will speak to them? I don't really know the answer to that. So I'm bringing people around me who can help us figure that out. I need Gen Xers and Millennials and Gen Z folks to help us understand how to do that. That's what's next. And I'm excited that you're going to be a part of it. So let's close out in prayer. Want to stand? Sorry. Like, why is everybody sitting? Oh, because I didn't tell them to stand up. Okay. <laughs> Hope 3.0. Celebrating the past, committing to the present, collaborating for what's next. It's going to be an exciting year. And I hope that you're going to be a part of it. Don't miss this opportunity to be a part of seeing where God leads us next. And know this, when we do, the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord will be gracious to you this day and always. Amen.